Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of When I Was On My Mission. I'm your host, Brian Jensen, and I'm here with Brayden Wardrop. Brayden, thanks so much for making time this evening. That's Elder Wardrop to you, Brian. I, I am sorry, first of all. I apologize. Elder Wardrop. We have Elder Wardrop on the call, the one and the only, and we are super excited. And just to get things rolling, Elder Wardrop, Brayden, um, where did you serve your mission? I served in Managua, Nicaragua, back when it was just one one mission. So the whole country was one mission. Very cool. And I'm assuming Spanish in Nicaragua. Yep. And what years were you there for? I was there from 06 to 08. 06 to 08. Very good. I was in North Carolina, same same time period, 06 to 08. So a couple questions for you to kind of get things rolling a little bit. When you were down in Nicaragua, sometimes random things happen on your mission that you don't really understand or can explain any you know random stories that that just pop up into your head any quickies yeah i mean there's a lot of those but the one that has to has to be the winner that comes to mind is uh, i was probably in the most remote area that i ever served in in a little town called la concha la, la concepcion and it's just in the middle of the jungle like hacking through the bush to find investigators and talk to members and um, one time we were on this real remote dirt road, my companion and I just, he and I walking along the road, probably trying to thumb a ride or something, which was against the rules, but, uh, a big flatbed semi-truck passed us and it passed about a hundred yards and then it just locked up on its brakes. And as it locked up on its brakes, my companion and I kind of looked at each other and we noticed that there's three uh, very white people for the part of Nicaragua that we were in uh, on the back okay. of that truck. And they jumped down and there's this big camera in my face, guy with a huge camera on his shoulder. And the the, the husband and wife the pair said, do you speak English? Do you speak English? And I was like, yeah, I do speak English. And have you heard of the show, The Amazing Race? And I said, yes, I have. Oh, wow. We're trying to get to Didiamba, which was a town, one town over. Which way do we go? And I just said, you're on the right track. Stay there and hang right. And uh, hopefully they found what they were looking for. I've searched for that episode and have come up dry for many, many years, but that was pretty random. Oh, that's awesome. Did you get the first vision in before they left? I tried, you know, I was just like, <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, two weeks from now, Sunday, but they were, they were, there we go. pillar yeah. of light, but then they were, they were just, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yes. Oh man, that's hilarious. I hope you, I hope you find that episode. If you do, let me know. I would love to see okay. the camera up in your face. Just thinking back to when you got your call, were you excited First of all, they go on a mission. And then also, were you excited about where you got called to? For sure and for sure. I mean, I, I was equal parts terrified of leaving on a mission that as I was excited to go. So, you know, kind of probably what a lot of elders feel. Uh, but I'm from a super rural little town here in Utah called Wanship, Utah, Colville, Utah. And so, yeah, for, for somebody from some country boy like me to get called to Nicaragua and speak Spanish. I, I I was one of those that had to immediately go to a map and see where Nicaragua was because I wasn't sure if it was in Africa or you know what where I'd be going. But yes, very excited and nervous to go, mostly because I had a girlfriend at the time and uh, the thought of leaving for two years 
was a little soul crushing. Ah, uh, the old girlfriend dynamic. Oh, I know. But that's a that's a toughie. Yes, I I liked to try to break up missionaries from their girlfriends. You're I one was, of those. I was, huh? I was the old breaking <laughs> dynamic. The old elder. I, they got dear John, and now is jealous dynamic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was me a little bit. I don't I don't know exactly why, but you know, that's just how it went. That is that's great, Braden. And um I hear you have have a good story for us about uh, some companions. So why don't we just jump right into that? Sure. There was an elder and he he was from Central America. We we were there's only I think a hundred American missionaries in in Nicaragua, American and Canadian. There were around 250 total, so the rest were all mostly from other countries, neighboring countries in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, Costa Rica, uh, Panama. And so this particular elder was, I believe, from Panama, but um, he, you know, had just kind of a strange past. He, he, I think, came from another belief system, so a Pentecostal or evangelical mm. uh, background. And so he was just a very fervent, like, converted wanted to speak and talk and preach and yell, you know, uh, anytime he got the chance. And so I was never companions with him actually, but I was lived in the same house with him. And I, I think he experienced a little bit of homesickness and some anxiety as every elder does that was out there. But sometimes he just started screaming in his sleep and we didn't really know what to do or what was going on. And we'd kind of ask, Hey, elder, are you doing okay? What's going on? And I walked into a room one night, I remember, and he had a whole bunch of candles burning. And in, in Nicaragua, the power would go out very consistently. I mean, around 7 p.m. every single night. And so you'd put, you'd take the bottom of a, a soda can and you put a candle in the soda can so that it would melt into the soda can and not onto the table. Ah, okay. And Though, so there was, it looked kind of seancey, if you were okay. in this room that I was in. I mean, there, if there was a Ouija board in the middle of the room, it would not have surprised me. Okay. So, you know, I walk in and I see this elder in the middle of all these candles and he's just kind of yelling out loud. And he's talking about all these visions that he's having and all these things that he's seeing. And he's talking about how, you know, he feels that he's receiving inspiration for the mission president. And at the time... I believe I was a district leader or something. So I had access to the only communication with the office. And so he really wanted me to give me the phone because he needed to call the mission president at 3 a.m. because this was revelation coming through him. It went going straight to the mission president and he wanted me to call him and I refused. And so he got a little physical and he tried to wrestle it out of my hand. Oh, man. And anyway, he had some pills and we were instructed that if he ever, you know, had trouble, we'd try to get him to dissolve these pills under his tongue. And he did. And he relaxed and ultimately fell asleep. None of us remembered the candles were burning, however. So the next morning we woke up and my leather scriptures to this day have a giant tin can ring melted into the leather because it, it was, it was heated up, but that was kind of one aspect of that story. And then let me, let me um, just ask you a couple questions really quick. Yeah. So, yeah. How long had you had you been out? It sounds like you're a district leader or something like that. So at least a little while. It wasn't my six month mark. It was just before my six month mark. And this elder went to another part of the mission. And later I heard he was having trouble. So the mission president called and said, hey, he felt comfortable with you. He felt comfortable with this other elder that happened to be li living in the house with me again six months later. And he said, we want to send him back and see if he can be more comfortable before we ultimately decide whether or not he can he can remain in the mission. 
that was kind of experience number one was there okay. in this house. And then I was with him again four or six months later in another house. Wow. Okay. There's, there's no guidebook. Nobody told you anything about this. It just kind of, just kind of happened. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, but you know, there was a language barrier at the time too. And the things he was trying to tell me and say, I was kind of partially picking up and trying to talk back, you know, four or five months in was still, I was still trying to figure it all out, but yeah, definitely. Uh, just like, you know, every missionary on any mission in the world is kind of, we'll, we'll say baptism by fire, right? Or trial by fire. You're thrown into it and you got to sink or swim. Just tell me a little bit about that. Like I got put in some interesting situations too. And I kind of look back and wonder, how did I deal with that when I was 19 years old? Like, what did you do to make that work? And obviously you made it work to the point that the mission president would trust you enough to kind of put you in that same situation again. Like, I don't know. The mission's such a whirlwind of crazy experiences that you kind of at some point just throw your hands up and say, I guess this is my life for the next two years, right? Or the next 18 months. You just kind of, I guess I'm going to eat this. I mean, I remember yeah. distinctly one time being served an, you know, an egg with a nice yellow yolk and some rice. And there was just this huge beefy black hair right through the yellow, oh, yeah. perfect yellow yolk, oh, yeah. right? And I, I remember just pulling the hair off and eating it without even thinking twice. And then not until later when I was walking, kind of reflecting on the same sentiment of, wow, I'm really in it now because, uh, you know, I didn't even think about that. And who knows where, how that egg was cooked, where it came from. What am I even doing here? Uh, oh, there's a dog trying to bite me right now. And the thought was interrupted, but. Kind of with all the experiences that are thrown at you, this was just another one where you were just kind of navigating it by feel and hoping that it uh, all turned out for the best. Yeah, you just kind of roll with it. But I mean, yeah. and that's that's my experience. Yeah, I remember something similar, being in an interesting neighborhood in North Carolina and being there to cook dinner with a with a member family, and just seeing you know cockroaches kind of go in and out of the kitchen, and you're just like, whatever, I don't like who cares, and that you just kind of just roll with it. You know, this is how it is. But okay. Tell us, tell us the next, the next portion of the story. Yeah. Well, the next portion was similar, you know, so he, he came back in and he, I think he had some other medication and, you know, and I, and I don't you know want to make light of the situation in the sense that I really love this elder. And I know he was trying and I would reminisce about this with anybody that asked me. So I'm not uh, poking fun at anyone in particular, but it, the second time it got a little more interesting because we had more strict instructions, you know, make sure that you're back at a certain time, make sure that he doesn't eat these, these foods, make sure that these medications are taken. Don't let him be unsupervised for a certain periods of time. Like I knew that th things must've happened that I wasn't aware of to have like this little guidebook of this is what we need to do with this particular elder. So I had little uh, medication and instructions and things like that. But, uh, just as before, the power had gone out in another area. We were in an area called Ciudad Sandino, and we lived in kind of an adobe clay house, and nobody can afford bob wire there. So you, a lot of missionaries, I'm sure, have seen this, but they pour the foundation, the walls, the adobe walls, they just break up glass bottles. So there's glass bottle shards that stick up on top so that people can't get over. Sure. Okay, yeah. Inside. And anyway, just like before, the power had gone out and we had pretty strict rules as a mission that when the power went out and it was dark, you had to book it home because Nicaragua is kind of a sketchy spot. It's the it's the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. You've got Haiti wow. and then Nicaragua. Wow. And there were elections going on for Daniel Ortega, who basically ran his campaign on we don't like Americans. And so especially for Americans, if power went out, we had to go home. So we were home, lights were out. And again, I wasn't this 
elder's companion, companions with another elder. And that elder, I could tell, had just had a day. I mean, he had his hand on his head and said, Elder Wardrop, I can't. I can't do this anymore. And he was you know, telling me about some some things that had happened where they were in the middle of a lesson and he had stood up in the middle of the lesson and walked over to the corner and started praying out loud and he had really big eyes, this elder, and his eyes would kind of roll into the back of his head and he would kind of look up and then he just starts saying stuff. I mean, oh, crazy man. stuff. Yeah. And so anyway, so I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm talking with him out front. I'm like, well, where, where is he? He's like, we've been home for an hour. I mean, I came home early. He's back in the room. And I'm like, well, well, how long has he been alone? How long has he been unsupervised? And he's like, I, I don't even know, to be honest. I'm sorry. So I run back to his room and he's gone. Oh, and no. so I'm like, okay. So we checked the bathrooms. We checked. There was a little, you know, tienda down the street, a little shop. We run down oh. there and talk to the member that ran it. And she's like, no, I haven't seen anybody. And so he was gone. And I don't know how we got over the bottle shards. I don't oh. know if he walked out the front door when someone was looking. I don't know what happened, but I had no choice at, you know, at by now, probably 839 at night, then to call the mission home, which was two and a half, three hours away oh, no. and say, hey, we've got an escapee on our hands. I have no <laughs> idea where he is. Oh, no. So the, the APs and the mission president drove out and we searched and searched and searched. So I'll finish that, but I want to let you jump in if you have any questions or anything you want to prod on me further. For that. Yeah, I do. So, so you call the mission president, the FEs, they're two hours away, you said. Mm -hmm. And so in that amount of time, you're probably continuing to search or just, Oh yeah. Continuing and, to search, just trying to think, could he, are there any friends these with there are, you know, or, or any like member friends who are our closest members here? We call every single member that we can. I mean, no one really had phones. So you you know you tried to dial the couple yeah. people that might the bishop you know we we involved the local ward leadership we've got an elder missing everyone kind of was aware that Your this elder yeah. had some stuff going on and so a couple members came out to help but yeah we were all just in a full blown search with the flashlights and candles that we had did you so it was just like literally just walking around and yeah were you still in that jungle area or was this, this was a little bit more yeah a little bit more of a city area so all of nicaragua is a jungle but this yeah ciudad sandino is like the city of sandino and so this was this was more of an yeah. urban, urban area. area and what was it like to call the mission president and tell him that you, that you lost the elder was that embarrassing or was it just like how, how yeah. did that feel I mean, it was again, kind of equal parts. Like I kind of felt bad because, you know, I'd have been entrusted to like take care of the elder. So I, I didn't want to call and say, Hey, the thing that you probably least wanted to have happen has just happened. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't want to say that, but at the same time, I knew that he would immediately understand uh, because yeah. he knew the situation and he did, he just said, okay, thank you very much. We're on our way. You know, it was very quick. It wasn't a lot of questions and they came out as quickly as they could okay so they they show up then what happens so we search and search and search i i can't remember exactly what time i mean it was in the early early morning hours you know three four a.m ish and the power randomly kicked back on i just remember standing yeah. in the middle of the dirt streets and the power kicks on and goes you know lights up the streets one by one or the, the houses and some of the little shops and there was an internet cafe that's how you you know got on the internet in Nicaragua was you had to find a cyber cafe, they'd call them, and sit at a computer and do it. And so it was the one where we had frequented. We went there every P day to write home. We passed by there a couple of times. But we hadn't looked really hard because it, when the power went out, the cyber cafe closed. And so we walk over to the cyber cafe that's now on. And there's even you know people in there now with computers that are on. This elder is sitting at a computer, just sitting on the computer, typing. 
I don't know if he was surfing the web. I don't know what he was looking at. Uh, I was, I think, second to the scene because I saw him still sitting there and just looking at the computer. He kind of had a real old man look to him. I think he was <laughs> a little older, but he had, you know, like half moon Dumbledore glasses and he's oh. just kind of typing like he's, you know, finishing up his journal for the day. And then he just kind of looks over at the mission president. Oh, Presidente. Oh, you know, looks at his Hola. watch. <laughs> and I mean, like nothing had even happened that he hadn't jumped over a wall, that he hadn't been gone for four and a half hours, any of that stuff. And that was that. Wow. At this point, how long had you been out on your mission? Say probably 14 months ish. And he's been out at least as at least as long. It sounds like yeah. he's been out yeah. for a while. Yeah, we were really close in our time in the mission. Yeah. Got it. What did the mission president do? So this is where it kind of gets a, a little bit of a bummer because this was like a big episode. I think this was the, you know, kind of the nail in the coffin, if you will. And so they took him back to the mission home. You know, he didn't stay with you. We, we went back and we helped him pack a couple of bags and he left. So he didn't take everything, I remember. So I thought, okay, you know, he's he's going to come back. That, that was my, my understanding and my expectation was that he'd return back to that house but we had i think a zone conference or something within a day or two so they said we'll just keep him here for now and when you come back in you can take him back out with you so we all took a bus in went to zone conference and then after the mission president said you know come uh come you'll come back to the office with me we'll we'll sit you figure the situation out so i walked into his office he was on the phone when he kind of summoned me into the office right he was already on the phone and so he put the phone down and he said, I, I, Elder Wardrobe, I've got one question for you. Since you have been with with this elder, you know, in, in from the last house to this house, would you say that he's gotten better or worse? I think I have to say worse. I, I don't, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I was just saying what I truly believed. I was like, it's been a handful because his companion had complained to me, all these things. And so he said, okay. And so he put the phone back to his ear and he said, yeah, vamos a mandarlo a casa. We're going to send him home. And uh, so he was on the phone. I later came to realize with his stake president of this elder. And so that elder ended up getting sent home and we ride each other still. And, you know, for the rest of my mission, like we kept in touch. And so did a couple of these others that were close to him. And I think it was ultimately for the best. And he's still great and still a member and still hanging out. And I, you know, I still see his Facebook posts. So I think he's doing well. But that's kind of how it all wrapped up. Wow. That's still super impressive to be oh, able yeah. to go for that long. And for sure, like impressive on his part, but then also impressive on the part of some compassionate companions that can, they can, you know, help a missionary like that through some tough situations. Cause like you said, missions are full of anxiety and it's hard enough for people that even go out without any type of issue, you know? So pretty, pretty awesome that he can make it that far. And that, uh, you know, companions and, and housemates and stuff like you would help them out. I think there's a, a common experience that missionaries talk about, which is like the tough companion that you served with. And so if you're kind of thinking about the people that are listening to the, the podcast, what would you say about going into a, a, a situation where you're going to be paired up with a, with a companion that's not, that's not a normal situation? What, what would you yeah. tell them about how to deal with that? think about it if I'm giving advice to somebody that's about to go on a mission that will inevitably have a companion like this you know it's it's do your best to take it in stride and realize that you'll never have this learning experience again but it's too hard to understand that until retrospect but what I would say is just like you just said Brian you know what a way that uh, a buddy of mine 
phrase it once. He was telling me about his mission. He served and he got an elder who was kind of lazy and his companion was super lazy. He didn't want to do anything. He was always just sleeping. And my buddy who was just absolutely up and Adam wanted to get out there, pound the pavement, do the work every day. He was judging his companion like crazy and saying, I just cannot believe I got this, you know, ball and chain as a companion. What am I going to do? He's complaining to his family via email all the time. And then he comes to learn as he gets his uh, companion better that, you know, his parents had been divorced and he had a sibling that passed away recently and he had, you know, just barely made it out on a mission and didn't have a lot of money and all these things, right, that he didn't know. And so he was judging him based on his idea of what serving or magnifying your calling as a missionary was, but realized through, you know, getting to know him better that his companion's best version was doing what he was doing and, and being in the mission and just getting out there and trying to wake up every day and trying to go out and and just be a missionary. That was as much, if not more effort than my buddy was putting in trying to go out and get as many contacts as he could or knock as many doors as possible. And so I feel like exactly the point you made, it's just, you don't know what's going on and anybody that's committing to, to do this to themselves for two years just deserves a lot of grace and a lot uh, of benefit of the doubt in, in all aspects. So when you can level with somebody and see them as a human being, I, I think that's your, your best bet. Yeah. I really appreciate that. That's super thoughtful. Yeah. I can, I can feel that. I I'm reminded of a companion that I had, who had cerebral palsy and uh, it was a struggle for him to get out on his mission. And on a mission you have the, the standard complaints that you complain about with your companions, which are like, ah, oh, we have to walk. We have to like, yeah, I'm tired, like all, you know, all these different things. I don't get to do these things that I, I would rather do on a Saturday. And you kind of commiserate together as you're attracting for hours in the sun or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking down the street with this, uh, with this elder and just his right arm didn't fully function. It was kind of always like crooked and kind of held up and, and the same for his leg, it was always kind of bent in and crooked. And he had, you know, his shoes would wear out and these different things. And I remember just, we're just walking and I, I got to like the corner faster than him. And so I just like turned around and was watching him walk to me. And it was just like the most humbling thing I've, I've ever seen. Just watching this guy walk in his unique way of walking that legs would hurt and stuff like that in ways that that mine wouldn't. And I was just like, wow, like this is pretty incredible to to see people that have these types of issues still come out and they still make it and they still impact people's lives so sure. I, I really appreciate you sharing that that perspective maybe yeah. just one more one more question that can, on that elder do you feel like like you learned anything from him or like you like he strengthened your testimony or or your experience while you're on your mission anyway it's a good question. You know, I, I definitely have a special feeling when I th think about that elder. I mean, as crazy as it was and, you know, kind of a funny story just because of everything that happened, I, there's definitely kind of a tenderness to me thinking of that elder just because he was so well-intentioned. He really wanted to be out there. And he, even though he probably wasn't receiving revelation in behalf of the mission, yeah, he wanted to be, and it was all good stuff. And, you know, we needed to do more lessons and we needed to set baptismal dates in our daily contacts. And he was a really well-intentioned, good guy. And I had some great conversations with him. So, but there was just something about the relationship that I kind of treated with a little more respect and care than maybe any of my other 
I, I'm still not really putting my thumb on what I'm trying to say, but it was just uh it was a real special relationship that I have certainly thought of. I mean, oh six to oh eight, right? We're 2023 now. So yeah. how many years later? And I I can still kind of conjure a little tear or two thinking of that elder and just sitting in the glow of the candlelight and his big, huge eyes and teeth. Like, I mean, he would laugh and he had a really funny laugh and I would make me laugh because it was such a funny, unique laugh. So I don't know. I don't know if I can take like a lesson away other than I'm glad to have been exposed to somebody from a completely different background with a completely up different upbringing than me. And yet we were both there, you know, shirt and tie in some Adobe house in Nicaragua trying to do what we thought was the best thing to do. And so that's kind of the specialness of it for me. That's great. Well, one more question for you. And I asked this to everybody, but, you know, thinking about that experience with that elder and probably some other companions that were easier to live with and work with. And then, you know, some other highs and lows on your mission, the whole experience, was it worth it going? I don't know. I would like, to, I'd like to meet the person that says it isn't, you know, I, I know we don't, we don't have time for this uh brian but you know my beliefs have changed a lot since the mission and i i'm a very different person now than i was then and i i still go to church and i still you know participate but things are extremely different for me than they were when i was you know pounding the dusty streets of nicaragua as a missionary but oh my gosh a hundred thousand percent worth it i mean the most formative years of my life i speak the spanish all the time I think about it all the time. I mean, it absolutely had an enormous effect on on setting my life up to what it has ultimately unfolded to become. I, I couldn't suggest it more. I hope my kids go and hate it as much as I did, but ultimately love it as much as I did. Right? <laughs> yeah, there are times of the hatred on your mission. And that... Especially with that girlfriend element, man. Oh, my oh, yeah. goodness. That was the worst part for me. Oh man, there's tough times, and then there's amazing times too. It's got opposition, right? the The depth of the yeah. the depth of the despair usually leads to the the peak on the other side. And so that that mission, you know, you go through the homesickness, you go through the anxiety, you go through the what the heck? I don't know. Like I, I, it's just fun to get to the other side and retrospectively look at it and say, "Holy smokes!" Yeah, what a great thing. You know, to me too, just doing it at that age, you know, yeah. getting that perspective, you know, it's not all about you, you know, and yeah, life's tough. And sometimes you have to wake up and do some hard work. And sometimes it doesn't go the way you want it to go. And sometimes it's hot outside and sweaty and sticky and stuff like that. <laughs> but what are you going to do about it? You know, like totally yeah. worth it. And sure. and now the only other thing I'd say is it, it, it also, you don't realize external focus, the outward focus on other people, since that is your whole focus for two years. Yeah whatever your motives are, you know, cause I don't want people listening to this thinking like, well, yeah. So what you're just thinking of baptizing every single person you see, whether that was the motive or not, either way, you're thinking of other people every day. And eventually you start, you kind of stop thinking about yourself. And when you, when you stop thinking about yourself, ultimately, I think you find a, a whole lot of happiness. And so for those two years, you're kind of forced into this bubble of not thinking about you and what am I going to do for school and what am I going to do for work and how am I going to support my wife and kids and how am I going to, it's me, 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 me. You have this little breath of fresh air that you take for granted for most of the mission where you get to think of something beside you for a while. And I don't think a lot of people get to get to experience that. I think you're right. Well, Braden, thanks so much for sharing that story. That's a great one. And I really appreciate you coming on. You got it, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. Please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com 
or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at When I Was On My Mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.